Psalm 145 again. And we will refer to it, God willing, in a little while. Verse 1. I will extol thee, my God, O King. And I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. And I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another. And shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty. And of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. And I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Turn with me to, again also to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we are conscious of you. We are conscious of your Holy Spirit. And we want to exalt you. We want to magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your great faithfulness to us. We ask you now, Lord, to seal and shut this little assembly in with your own self. And may thy name be exalted in this house. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. May we see the greatness of our God this morning. And may our hearts praise him. Praise you for who you are. Glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Chosen by greatness for greatness. Part three. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many, not many noble are called. Verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28, And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. What did God ever see in me? Ask yourself that question. 
What did God ever see in me? Personally speaking, there wasn't a lot to see. There wasn't anything that would be attractive to God. My lifestyle wasn't attractive to God. It certainly wasn't pleasing to God. And so I asked myself, what did God see in me? You can do the same. What does God see in us whenever we think of our fallen nature from Adam? It's known as the the depravity of human nature. You see, men and women don't really grasp hold fully or completely exactly who they are outside of Christ before they're saved now. Men and women don't really grasp who they are. And until they do, until they realize who they are before God, what they're like in standing before God, they will never be saved. We have looked at God's greatness in contrast to man's weakness. We've looked at God's majesty in contrast to God's moronic, or man's rather, moronic ways. God willing, we'll look at that a little further in a moment. We, we have looked at God's determination, God's determination to save you, meaning that God was more determined for you to be saved than you ever were because you were dead in your sin. And God's determination in contrast to man's total depravity, man's total inability to save himself no matter how hard he tries, she tries, no matter how hard they try, the impossibility is this. With men, Jesus says this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And when we realize our depravity, when we realize that God would be justified, and we need to hear this, when we realize that God would be just justified in allowing every one of us to spiral on a ball and floating in space called earth and to live a life that we live outside of Christ and to die in our sins, to be found guilty, and to go to hell, God would be justified. Because it's our nature to be like that. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, and God in his loving kindness, and God with his predetermined, it's called predestination, his predetermined act, choice, will, choose his elect. So God is just in all his ways. There is no unrighteousness with God. And this morning, if you can realize who you were before Christ came into your life, there's people say, "Ah, well, I'll try Jesus. I'm not a bad lad. I'm not a bad girl. I'll try Jesus. And if that's how you've come, I wonder the experience before God, where you are in God. It's knowing this, that without Christ... You're without hope. And without Christ, you're lost for all eternity. Simple as that. 
that the inability of man and woman to save themselves remains that completely, the inability. No matter what we do, where we go, how we try, churchianity, religion, works, alms, deeds, no matter what it is, the inability is our nature from Father Adam is this, that we are dead toward God. We are the walking dead. We are dead men walking, dead women walking. Spiritually dead toward God, but alive unto the things of the world, alive unto the devil, alive unto the sin that he, that he implores, or, or rather that he, he, he draws us into. We're alive to that and dead to God. But when the Holy Spirit came one day and quickened your heart, when the Holy Spirit come and stirred you up and you knew in yourself, I'm not right. And my church or religion or whatever it may be, you put it on. My good works, I'm not a bad person, saves me. God will let me into heaven, all this sort of stuff that we hear. And you realize that all of that before God is vanity. It's emptiness. It's pride. You realize you're puffed up, full of self. We we become as human beings so full of self we could sit and study our own navel all day and would get plenty of enjoyment out of it. Because it's all inward, it's all me, me. But when God quickens the heart, he lets us see Christ. 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 He makes you alive unto him and able to react toward the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. To react... And see the precious shed blood still has the cleansing, atoning power today. And that Jesus paid it all. And receiving that payment in full, believing that he has paid it all, your full debt of sin, receiving Christ, causes us to live in freedom. Causes us to be clothed with a garment of righteousness. Causes us to be justified in the sight of God just as if we had never sinned, even though we feel him. Just as if we had never sinned. And in the eyes of God, through Christ and in Christ, you are perfect already this morning. So you're chosen by greatness. But what for? For greatness. For the kingdom of God. For heaven. You're chosen for greatness even here to display that upon the earth in our lifestyle and how we carry that out. We looked at the word chosen, eklegome, it means to pick out or to choose for oneself. It gives the idea of choosing one out of many. It gives the idea of God choosing someone for an office. So God has already implanted in you the abilities He's already had in foreknowledge and in forethought said they're going to be in this ministry. They're going to do this for me. They're going to be like that. And it's up to you and I now to walk in that ministry, to step out in faith in that ministry. And it's up to us that when God, as it were, turns the key of an open door for you and I to walk through it. Now you can stand at the other side of the door if you want. You can stand at the other side of the door and say, Lord, I don't want to go through it. I don't want to go into it. I don't want that. But really what you're doing is you are rebelling against God. When God opens the door that no man can shut, then you and I, 
if we're in tune with God, we'll feel the compunction and the compelling of the Spirit. And we'll never be at ease until we yield to him. God hath chosen. Let's look at this for a moment. Because there's some great truths in this that I just want to open up for a moment. I'd used hard words, I suppose, that many, maybe outside of this building. I don't know who else uses what terms in other building and other assemblies, but not really do you hear people talking about people are moronic ways, moros, the moron, the foolishness. But I want to bring you what the Bible says because politically correctness has watered down the gospel and given us so many other versions of the word of God that it no longer has its meaning where sin becomes a mistake. Sin is a transgression of the law. It's not a mistake. And good people are righteous. Good people aren't righteous. Blood-washed, blood-bought people with the righteousness of Christ are righteous. So I want to give you the strength of the words when I give you these. That's why I would do it. And it might seem a bit uh, harsh or a bit, well, strong. But these are, this is exactly what God is telling us. Notice this. As we looked at God had chosen, and he, we, we can't go through it all. But we looked at, let me just read it, Ephesians 1 and 4. Uh, God uh, hath, he hath chosen us according According as he hath chosen us in him in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We stopped there last week, and the idea is the word katanopion, which means to be in the presence of, to be before someone's face. Remember your children playing in the in the in the living room, and they're oblivious to you, and you're watching them, sitting there watching them. You're listening to their wee voices. You're hearing the words that they're speaking. You're seeing their characters. You're seeing what they're playing out. You're seeing them as they start to walk. They're oblivious to you, but you're always conscious of them and you're watching them and you're just loving them. It's called out. That love in your heart is, it doesn't have to be forced out or dragged out. It doesn't have to be drawn out. It's called out because they're yours. You love them. That's agape love. They are precious to you. They're a precious object. And they just call out the love of your heart. This is the idea that God, from before the foundation of the world, knew you, saw you. He says, I'm going to have him. I'm going to have her. I'm going to have uh, Gary lead lead worship. And I'm going to have uh, Ruth play piano. Or I'm going to have Richard on drums. I'm going to have Ken up preaching the word. I'm going to have... Christina leading children's meetings, you know, and I can go on and on and on. And the Lord is producing that. The Lord has already chosen that for you, but there's a time and a place when, Lord, what's your will for me? What's your will for me? And suddenly God turns the key and opens it, and you're stepped into it before you know it. But here's the thing when you move into that ministry, you must live that ministry. You must live it. It's not just, I'll go and I'll play an instrument or I'll go and I'll sing a song or I'll go and bring a wee word to the people or I'll go and I'll say hello to the children, how you doing, give them a bar of candy and send them home again. You must live it. The work behind it is knowing God has called you and living it through thick and through thin, through highs and through lows. You know that God has called you here and outside of that, you will never be contented. That's how you know the ministry is called or you're called to that ministry. 
But notice that he hath chosen us. Not you choose him. He hath chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, here's another verse for you. James chapter 2 and verse 5. Notice what James says here. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Listen to me in other words. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Notice that. Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Do you see the term there where James says, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? You know where it reads in the Greek New Testament? Hath not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heir of the kingdom? See, in God's mind it was already done that he would impart faith into you. In God's mind it was already called out from him that you would have the ministry abiding in your ability. And to be is this, that at times you're always in faith in Christ. At times there's a key that turns and opens that you would be in faith and rich in faith to pray for the sick and see them healed. That you would be rich in faith to witness to the unsaved. That you would be rich in faith where there are times when you're able to fully trust God for everything in your life and your faith grows, your faith increases. The idea here is that God is moving you every day, step by step, to become richer in your faith as you experience him, as you come to know him, as you worship him and praise him and exalt his name and talk with him and commune with him, fellowship with him, that your faith is built up in him. And the more you see God move, then the more you step into it. And the more you step into it, then the more God moves. And the more you see God move, the more you step into it. It's a day and a daily expression of faith that God is drawing you every day. That you're growing up in Christ. You're maturing as a son of God. You're maturing as a daughter of God. And every day you're saying, you know, I couldn't believe God for that before, but now I have seen him move. I'm believing him for the next step. And for the next step, when it is accomplished and comes to pass, God is blessing you for the next one. But you still need to step into it and believe God for it. It's the responsibility of man. God has it all in place. God has everything in order. And God has it all planned and purposed. It's like saying to the unsaved, you know, if you just believe in Jesus and you just trust in his blood and you just cry for mercy and repent of your sin and you squeal at them and you shout at them and you shake them, come on, believe, believe. If you only knew what I knew, if you only had what I had, if you were saved like I was saved, you'd only experience it and love it. Well, friend, here's the thing. It's the same as in a Christian walk to experience more of the Holy Ghost in a meeting, to experience more of Jesus in the life, to build up in faith that you can go and believe God for things, you can pray and see God move, that you can do it yourself and step out and step into it. 
That's the idea of it. To be rich in faith. We're always talking about a mustard seed. Jesus says about a mustard seed, and that's great. But James says God wants you to be rich in faith. Rich in faith and stepping out, knowing God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that God from before the foundation of the world had planned your salvation, called you with an effectual calling, regenerated your spirit, that you would be made alive unto God, sent his son to die, shed his blood on the cross, sent him to the tomb, raised him from the dead, sent him into heaven, and sent the same Holy Ghost into you. That's the idea. And be rich in it. Notice what he says. You'd be rich in faith and he's chosen you to be an heir. An heir of the kingdom. That's fantastic. That's mighty. An heir of the kingdom. And I know at times we all know these things and we hear it. Oh, we're joint heirs with Christ. As we saying, it becomes a, it's a cliche. But the Bible isn't a cliche. The Bible's a living word. The Bible is God Almighty, the creator of the universe, speaking directly and saying unto you, when you're saved, blood washed and blood bought, you are an heir of my kingdom. That's what God's telling you, believer, this morning. You're an heir of the kingdom. And if you're an heir, I'm not talking about arrogance or ignorance. But if you're an heir, when you leave here this morning, start living like one. Start living like one. When you see people and you hear someone's sick, you don't need to call the pastor. It's like going to the priest for the forgiveness of sins. You don't go to a priest. We have a great high priest. You don't need, Pastor, I need you to come to pray. I would say, well, don't. You pray. You can pray. Have that walk with God. And don't get me wrong, I will go and pray with anyone. But you pray. Here is the idea. That you're an heir of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Does that mean then God only gives you, makes you an heir and rich in faith because you love him? The answer is no. The way it reads here is that you love him because he first loved you. And those whom he has loved, chosen, called, and drawn, paid their price, washed them in the blood, filled them with the spirit, they will love him. They will love him. See the gratitude here? The gratitude is that, Lord, so unworthy. That's what Gary said in the midst of worship. We don't deserve your presence. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to stand before you. We don't deserve what you've given us. But we receive mercy. And mercy is when we do not get that which we do deserve. In other words, we deserve to be lost and we deserve to go to hell. And God would be justified, as I said about, uh, before on it. But, but we got mercy, which we did not get that, which we do deserve. We were dead to God. We were lost. So mercy found us and grace reached us. And we received that. 
which we did not deserve. We received Christ as our Lord. We received the forgiveness of sin. We received his righteousness. We received forgiveness of all of our transgressions and iniquities and all the things that we still, we still feel at every day. You see, so here is the heart that is loved by God, loves in return. I know Puritan once said, love is like an echo. It returns that which it once received. And when a man and woman realizes they are loved by God from eternity and still love with an everlasting love, that that love will never diminish, never change, never finish, never leave them, never go away, that they'll always be his child, that they will always be loved by him, you will always be before him in love. In other words, you'll be up before his face all the time in love. And when you realize that, those who are loved will love in return. And you'll just love him. I better move quickly here. Time's flying. So he's chosen us, one, to be rich in faith, two, to be heirs of the kingdom. Now, the poor that he says that he has chosen doesn't mean to say that only poor people are chosen, only poor people are saved, only poor people are his people. That's not what it means here. The idea here is this. That the poor are more readily to respond to God in faith because they have fewer obstacles and they're heading to the kingdom. Can I be, draw us in just for a moment here. Now this isn't to anyone in particular, but this is what you find generally in the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ in general. But let's just draw a bit more parochial this morning. This Laodicean age of the church, the church when Christ returns that you're living in, that you are part of, it's lukewarm and wants to make Christ spit them out of his mouth. Christ says, I'll spew you out. You're neither hot nor cold. I was talking to a couple of older people this week, earlier in the week, talking about things to do with church. We're talking about Sunday evening meetings and Sunday morning meetings and what they'd done in their prayer meetings and how far they used to walk to get to a meeting in the rain, hail, sleet or snow and they had nice cars the way they have now and just general talking to change. And the Pentecostal meetings they were in were great and, you know, and they said to me, do you know what's wrong with the church today, Pastor? That's what they said to me. I said, go ahead, tell me. He says, the church has become so comfortable. The church is used to all its gadgets. The church is used to having their big TVs in the corner on a Sunday evening that they can't pull themselves away from it to get to their meeting. He says, when we were younger, this is where it works, when we were younger, nothing would stop us getting to the house of God. You see, things are good. We like things, comforts. But things will hold you back from God's house, can hold you back from God's 
company in your house. You think about that. See, those obstacles, even for a believer, start stopping us. Instead of going to the place of prayer, we'll want to watch the TV. Instead of going to a place of worship, we want to see our latest DVD or whatever, our latest football match. I'm not saying against these things. All I'm saying is in place of Christ. Listen to what John Calvin says about the appearance of, or the choice of the poor. God's choice of the poor. John Calvin says this, not indeed alone, or in other words, not just the poor now. He says, not indeed alone, but he wished to begin with them that he might beat down the pride of the rich. Nothing wrong with being rich, but what he's saying is those who loved the money more than they loved God. Now listen, if a rich man come in here and says, I have a million pounds to help you build your project here, I'd be delighted. So I'm not saying that against a rich man. Don't get me wrong. It's the loving things before the things of God. Some people just simply love the duvet rather than the deity. Here, God looks at you, looks at you. God looked at you from before you were born and seen greater in you than you see in yourself. And obstacles and things will stand in your way and hold you back and stop you from moving on. Obstacles in your way, believer. This is just about the unsaved. And if you're unsaved this morning, what obstacle is it that stopped you coming to Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation? Because if something is stopping you, you need to say, Lord, remove this from me. I want, I want to surrender to you. And believer, if you have something of an obstacle in your way, then remove it. Get yourself in track with God again. You see, God sees you, seen you, knew you completely different than you know yourself. And God, from before the foundation of the world, loved you, knew he would call you. In his mind, you're already saved, even before you were born. It was already a done deal in God's eyes. And God had equipped you in his mind. All would take place at the right time. And the idea here is that God looks at a man and looks at a woman and they might see themselves, and that is a believer now at this point, they might see themselves as worthless and useless and helpless and nobody acts sure, how could I do anything for God? Listen, God has a plan and a purpose for you. God wants you to be rich in faith. God wants you or has made you to be an heir of his kingdom, an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. God is saying to you this morning, I have a greater purpose for you than this mundane, dead, lifeless existence that you're walking in. I have a greater plan for you than you think in your life, than you think can happen, than you think you can do, than you think you'd be able or be up to. God sees the finished product that you can be. God sees where he'll bring you to. God knows all about it and he's already done in his mind. You need to step into it.
It's all there. It's all in you. It's all in you. God is turning the key. It's in you. That's why Paul says, I can do all things. Not some, a couple, a few, many, one or two. I can't. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I'm going to have to round this up. Stay with me for a moment, please. I want to look at a verse here. Second Peter chapter 1, please. Now, here's the thing. When, when, you're, when we look at people, we look in the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. We know it so well. But, you know, when you think about it, Judas Iscariot seemed to be a better person for leadership than the rest of the apostles. Or than the apostles, I should say. And Judas Iscariot held the money bag. Judas Iscariot could count well. Judas Iscariot was there. He was attending. He was in attendance. But Judas Iscariot betrayed him. And God knew him. Jesus says, Hath I not called you on one as a devil? <laughs> you're not pulling the wool over my eyes, Judas Iscariot. Don't you think for one minute, Judas Iscariot, that you're going to try and pull the wool over my eyes, that I'm going to be taken by surprise and that I don't know your ways and your game and what you're up to. I know your heart. And you see, the idea of it is this. We choose people and we look upon people by what we can see on the surface but miss the mind of God. I want to say it again to you. We choose people by what we see on the surface but we miss the mind of God. You may look at that person and say, sure they can do nothing. That's not the mind of God for that person. Sure, they're just so-and-so. That's just that wee woman sits in the corner. That's not the mind of God. Don't miss the mind of God this morning for yourself. And don't miss the mind of God for someone else this morning. Don't you miss the mind of God for this assembly. And don't miss the mind of God what he wants to do in your life. God has a mind toward you. Do you hear me? I'm saying that in love to you. God has a mind toward you. Let's read this as we close. And next week I'll do the last one. I was going to finish today, but again, things didn't turn out that way. Second Peter chapter 1, please. Just let me get it. Second Peter chapter 1, and just a couple of verses to close. Uh, verse 3. Let's go to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord, Jesus our Lord. Now notice, we skip that. That's just a salutation. No, it's not. No, it's not. Read the word. Take your time. Read it slowly. Chew it up like a cow would chew cud. Regurgitate it. Think about it. Notice what the apostle is saying here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Look, think of that multiplication. Here's a blessing over you. Grace and peace. All the time in multiplication, not just have a nice time, not just be let's settle down a bit. Multiplication of grace and peace, notice to you through what? Through the knowledge. The idea here is through experiential knowledge of you knowing God. 
That's going back to what we're saying is having fellowship with God will bring an experiential knowledge of God and you will see faith in him. You'll step into that. That will grow. You'll see faith in him again. You step further and you'll have an experiential knowledge. That's why tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Listen, and hope that maketh not ashamed. In other words, the whole tribulation will bring patience to your life. For you'll start to figure out the things of God, know the mind of God, the will of God, the ways of God. And experience, uh, uh, tribulation brings experience. Experience hope. In other words, now you have that hope that God who did it in the past, God who answered your prayers in, in bygone days, God who, who came through the last time, God who answered that time when you're worried about someone sick or for a child or for whatever you need, God who answered that in times of financial problems, God who has answered it and came through for you in times of sickness and distress and anxiety, you've trusted him, he's came through for you, you've come to an experiential knowledge of him and now you're full of hope or faith in him and that hope will not make you ashamed you will say Lord I believe you for bigger things if God touched you and cured a headache it's as easy for him to do that as raise you from the dead I need a miracle he's a miracle working God Oh, it takes something supernatural in my life. Well, he is a supernatural God. And remember, that which is supernatural to you and that which is supernatural to me is just natural to God. He is supernatural. That's his nature. That's his character. That's his person. A supernatural, wonder-working, miracle God. Let's finish with this. Verse 3. And beside... According as, he, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him, here we go again, that hath called us to glory and virtue, knowing who he is, walking with him, knowing we're called in him from before the foundation of the world, fellowshipping with him, faith in him, seeing him work before. See the word according? Here's the same word, kata. Remember we looked at that before. It means down, control, Gives the idea of domination. The domination of his divine power, notice, is given to us. <laughs> Do you hear that? Isn't that fantastic? His control and dominating power is over you this morning. It's given to us in all things. Verse 4. Whereby we are whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that these, by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now notice what the apostle is saying here. Whereby are given to, unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. See the word nature, it's the word phusis. It's the same word as ye were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Um, uh, and the idea there is that, that but God, God hath quickened us and we were by nature the children of wrath. The word nature is phusis. Adam's nature was in us. Death toward God. Emptiness toward God. Vanity before God. All of it was death. But here the divine nature now resides in you because of great 
exceeding great and precious promises. The divine nature is that nature which comes from God Almighty himself. The fusus, the germs as it were, God's germination of my body. Speak that reverentially before my Father. Is within me and within you and his nature is able to overcome. Really, you should have been jumping up and down, swinging from the lampshades at that point. The exceeding great and precious promises are this. The word exceeding great gives the idea, it's the word magistos, and it means the very great, the large, the imposing promises. They're looming over you. The imposing promises every day of your life are looming over your life. You walk through the promise every day. You walk in the promise every day. It's like walking through hot hot oil every day of your life. The promises around you, the promises within you, the promises is over you, the promises everywhere you go when you're lying, you're covered in the promise. You're walking in it. It's exceeding great. It's a word, magathos. And it's where we get our word. They say, oh, that's mega, big, mighty, gigantic, and great. That is the promise of God. And why? It's precious because of who he is. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised. Going to do one more week. I thought I was going to finish that, but I've just too much material. Here's a wee hint for next week. Psalm 145, there's a wee word there. Talk about praising God. And you know, the closest that anybody I've read who have mentioned this, most people seem to try and put it to the side, hide it. <laughs> and this wasn't even a Pentecostal, this was an old Puritan writer. In fact, a couple around that time. And the word for praise there, you know what it gives the idea of? Do you know women in the Middle East, you hear them whether they're angry or in protest or sorrowing, you know, they're... Someone has, there's been a, a, a bomb exploding, their, their, their loved ones are dead, and they're expressing their grief. You know, the, they, get, they actually write it in, in, in their writings. It goes, that's how the, the, <laughs> these uh, commentators tried to write it to express it. How women in the Middle East go, and always like, you know, they do it very high pitch. I can't do it. Gives the idea that even in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God moved, they started singing with the tongue. That's the idea. But there were no gifts of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, there was. Oh, yes, there was. Not in the way we have it in the church today, but oh, yes, there was. I'll look at that next week, and I'll show you a bit more, God willing.